back up 21 years ago, we were serving probably about 70 people a month. This is our little first food pantry in here. Now, 21 years ago, we thought this was a big deal. <laughs> These are our little stickers of what we put. We've got, I see, condiments, main course, meal helpers, pasta. So these two shelves right here, this is our food pantry. <laughs> I always love the fact that we were open-palmed about if people are in need, the Bible says God wants us to help them. And I think that's how God has blessed us. It didn't matter if they came to this church. It was always if those in need, they're welcome to this church. We wanted to dive into learning more about how we could be a part of God's plan in coming alongside them and solving the bigger issue. We didn't want to be just a band-aid. What we decided to do was grow the teams to help the person in crisis. Sometimes the crisis was food, so we have a food pantry. Sometimes the crisis was job loss or finding a job, so we developed a job search team. But the beauty of all these different teams is that we are segueing these families in need through these different ministries to try to pour into them the skills, but more importantly, pour into them the love of Jesus Christ. Truly, it's been life-changing for me, and I'll never forget uh, the love and the generosity and the compassion I've been shown here ever. When I first came through the doors, not knowing what to expect, I knew, I knew it was a place of Goodness. Our volunteers really sit with someone during a storm. It's not that we always have the answers, but like I said, it's always looking to the one that does together. So now, today, present time, we're serving about 1,400 people a month with food. So the numbers have really gone up, and so has God's provision. What food do you need? Um, we always need laundry detergent. Oh, these are sandwiches, guys. This okay. It just helps me realize how blessed I am and that there are so many people out there that really need help right now. The chance for our church really to be the hands and feet of Jesus and matching from those who have plenty with those who are in need. So the new space, it gives us a larger space now to hold the food that's coming in and to serve more guests. And I'm hoping that there won't be the long lines that we can bring people through faster and we have additional opportunity within those conversations to share the love of Jesus Christ. I would have never imagined when we had this tiny little closet that now we are this huge care center and that is only something that God can do. Partnering with Shepherd's Heart to feed the needy right here in our own neighborhood is easy, and we now have an exciting new way for you to get involved. Currently, we are seeing 1,400 people a month. The urgent and consistent need of our pantry is our non-perishable items. Starting today, we are looking for 500 Chapel Street families to become a Shepherd's Heart Pantry partner. What this means is committing to a monthly donation of one item of your choosing and filling one of our blue canvas bags with as much as that one item as you can. Maybe it's peanut butter. If that is what you pick, fill a bag with that one item. It's important to stick with your item and to be consistent with bringing in your donation every month. If you would like to be a part of this initiative, please visit our website at chapelstreet.church slash pantrypartner. 
you will find everything you need to know about how to become a partner. Signing up is easy and your help will go a long way to helping those in need. We are also looking for more volunteers to serve in the pantry. We have many different roles such as shopping with our guests, stocking shelves, or organizing inventory that comes in. If you are interested in serving, please contact Lisa Smarto, our volunteer coordinator at lsmarto at chapelstreetchurch.com. I'm so thankful, and, and I hope you are as well, to be a part of a church that takes loving our neighbors seriously. Uh, I'm just so grateful for what God has done through our Shepherd's Heart ministry and is going to continue to do. And as you heard in the video, after this service, there will be a station out in the lobby where you can sign up to be a uh, Shepherd's Heart food pantry partner, which is a lot of words. Um, but it's a great way to get involved in what God is doing. And so I hope you consider signing up in that way. Um, as I said, God's just done amazing things, and that's thanks to, first of all, His direction and His love, but also to people like you who have said yes to loving your neighbor. And so I hope you consider saying yes today. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, I'm just, uh, just grateful for the ways that you move in our community. I'm grateful for your love for each one of us and for our neighbors and for our communities. Would you allow us to hear from you now to continue to move us closer to you in the ways that we pursue justice and righteousness and love. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as we begin our time together, I wanted to do just a little informal poll with everybody in the room today. So what I want to ask, I want you to consider um, your ability as a driver, uh, your ability as a driver, or I know we have some kids who are uh, below the driving age, so just consider the ability of whoever drove you here, all right? So now we're getting dangerous, be careful. But what I want you to do is, if you think that you are in in above average, in the top 50% of drivers in this country, I want you to just raise your hand right now. Okay, that's a lot of hands. <laughs> okay, let's do another one. When you think about your intelligence, how many of you would say, you know, as I look at everyone in this country, all 300 whatever million of us, I am in the top 50% of most intelligent people in the country, raise your hands. Don't be, you don't have to be humble, it's okay. Okay, a little less there. Last one. How many, of would you say, how many of you would you say that you are an above average person at getting along with other people? Just, you know, I'm pretty easy going. Wow, not, not a lot of hands here, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we'll pray for that. Um, you know, I was curious about what would happen. There's, there's actually a, a really fancy psychological term um, that people talk about when they talk about this idea of, you know, above average whatever. Um, the term is illusory superiority, um, where there's something in our brain that makes us automatically kind of compare our abilities or our skills to the average, often in ways that we overestimate a little bit. For example, in the U.S., three out of four people think that they are above average drivers, including 80% of men. No surprise there. <laughs> Two-thirds of people think that they have above average intelligence, including 70% of men. Seeing a pattern. <laughs> and in a poll of high school students all across the country, 85% believed that they were in the top half of getting along with other people, including one out of four 
that thought that they were in the very top 1%. See, there's something within us that, that almost instinctively and automatically compares our performance with other people, and often it leads to us thinking something like this. I may not be, you know, the very best, but I'm definitely better than most. I am good enough at this. Now, just um, a hypothetical piece of advice. If you bring this up with your spouse, and she believes that she is in the top half of drivers, don't question her, because she will yell at you. (laughs) Hypothetically, of course. (laughs) Now, today what we're doing is we're, we're finishing up our series and justice for all, and talking about this idea of justice that is so important to God and and that's become so important in our culture. If you've been following along with us, you might remember that we've been exploring ideas such as justice is biblical, not political. Justice is about setting things right, and it flows from the heart of God. And, And last week, if you were with us, you might remember that Pastor John Kelly joined us, and if you actually haven't had the chance to watch him, I encourage you to do so. It was just an amazing message, and we're so glad that he was able to join us for that. But today, as we finish, what we're going to do is go to the book of Amos in the Old Testament. Amos is one of the minor prophets who lived in a time where the, the people of God, where the nation of Israel believed that they were well above average when it came to their faith. When it came to their obedience and their faithfulness to God, they said, you know what, we are good enough. At this point in history, the the kingdom of Israel had split into two nations, and I think we have a map, just we'll go through this real brief, but you have Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and they're surrounded by all these other groups of people. At this time where Amos came into the story, both Israel and Judah were, were doing great. They were experiencing success when it comes to, uh, you know, military battles. They were growing in their power and in their influence. Economically, they were doing well. Everything was up and to the right, and they took that as a sign that God must be pleased with us. We must have God on our side, and, and because of that, there must be a day coming where all those other nations that you saw, God was going to come and bring judgment to them because we are way better than they are. They called this the day of the Lord, this day of judgment, and and they looked forward and and actually cried out for this day to come. But then as we explore the message of Amos, as we will just a little bit today, the picture that you're going to see is one that is entirely different. So what we're going to do is we're going to bounce around Amos chapter 5 a little bit today. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, this is a good week to follow along as we jump around. But what I want to do is start at Amos chapter 5, verse 6. It says this, Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour, with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. We'll skip to verse 10. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. 
So there are a few things I want to bring out of this, and the first thing I want to look at is a people of justice. We've talked a lot this month about how justice is something that is kind of ingrained into who we are. As people who bear the image of God, we have been created to be people of justice. A few months ago, I shared a story of my first uh, job in high school. I worked at an Oberweiss ice cream store, um, and my older brother, Nick, actually worked there as well. And and even as high school students, um, Nick had a lot of gifts in in leadership, um, specifically in the gift of delegating. He was really good at delegating um, to the point that whenever the two of us worked together, I found myself running around scooping ice cream and taking orders and washing dishes, and he was overseeing the process. Um, And he was so good at overseeing the process that he could do so sitting in the back drinking a milkshake. And it made me so mad. I was so frustrated because, you know, it just wasn't fair. It wasn't just. And I promised that if I ever got to the point where he was, that I would treat people better. That I would be different because I'm a person of justice. I mentioned earlier that Israel was looking forward to this day of the Lord where God would come and bring judgment to their enemies. And during this time, Amos comes in and he has a message for a nation. And Amos is just a normal guy. He was a shepherd and he was a farmer, uh, just kind of an average, ordinary person. And a reminder for us that God loves using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And so Amos comes in, and he gives this message, and he tells them that they had fallen into this illusory superiority, that they were not as just, not as faithful, and not as obedient as maybe they thought. He points out a couple of examples of, as he puts it in verse 7, turning justice to wormwood. In other words, corrupting what is just and turning it into sinful behavior and, and almost a bitter taste. In verse 10, he points to their behavior at the gates and and says that they hate him who reproves in the gate. And to understand this idea of the gate, just kind of think of that as similar to our court system. The gates were these covered archways that were at the the, uh, entryway of the city, and what would happen is the elders would sit under these gates and they would make rulings. And some of them were legal disputes, but others of them were just kind of everyday disputes that would come up. They would take them to the elders, and they would make the decision. This, basically, it was a place where justice was supposed to live. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. In other words, Amos is saying, you have taken this place that was supposed to be a place of justice and truth, and you have turned it into a place of corruption. You have been okay with and even participated in a system that takes advantage of the poor who have nothing to offer. You take bribes from the rich. In other words, you have become oppressors. And and the irony of this is that the people of Israel knew exactly what it was like to be oppressed. Oppression was in their history as slaves, as wanderers, as immigrants with nothing, and and they should have known better. And yet they were given this little bit of power, this little bit of economic prosperity, and they had proven themselves to be no different. And so there's this contrast that's really important for us to understand. 
This contrast of Israel believing that their success and their money and their power was a sign that God was with them, that he had blessed them, that that their fortune equaled God's favor. And yet this passage teaches us that, that God's favor does not come from the things that he gives us. It comes from what we do with them. It comes from how we use them. And as people living in the suburbs of a major city of the wealth, wealthiest nation in the world, what each of us must do is consider three things. Number one, what have I been given? What has God placed under my care? Is it money, power, and success? Is it possessions? Is it a home? Is it people that work for me or kids that I raise or a family that I lead? What have I been given? And number two, what am I doing with these things to promote justice and righteousness in the world and in my life? How could I do more? And then finally, number three, am I aware of the temptation that I face? The same temptation that Israel had fallen into in our story. For my possessions to blind me of my purpose. For the things that I have or that I want to have, the status that I have reached or want to reach, or or the stability that I feel or want to feel. To blind me and keep me from seeing injustice not just out there, not just in the world, but in my life as well. Some of you might be aware of of the stories that have come out, many of them recently, of of the failures of pastors and other Christian leaders. People who have preached one thing and then do another, who it turns out were not faithful, not obedient, but in some cases even took advantage of those that they were supposed to love people who should have known better. And every situation is different, and and yet the one thing that you always seem to see is that the greater the success and the greater the influence and the greater the power and the greater the money, that much greater is the temptation for those things to blind me of my purpose. And Amos is saying in verse 6, if you want to avoid this trap, if you want life in the way that God intended it, You must seek the Lord, and not just in the temple, but also in the gates. Not just on Saturday nights when we're at church or on Sunday mornings, but when I wake up on Monday, when I go and pursue my career goals, when I make decisions with how I spend my money, when I treat other people around me, especially those that I have influence or power over, I must use what I have for others. This is what it means to be people of justice. That brings us to the second thing I want to look at today, which is a day of justice. I don't know if this will come as a surprise or not to you, but, but I was not a big troublemaker when I was in school. Don't tell me if that's surprising. I don't want to know. I, I don't know if it's that I was a good kid. Um, I think more so it was fear-based good behavior. Um, But I I remember one day in high school, it was right at the end of the school year, some friends of mine convincing me to leave school for lunch and then just not go back and kind of take a half day. Um, And for some of you, that was like no big deal. You know, I did that all the time. For me, this was like pulling a bank heist. Like I was so, I was so nervous. I was synchronizing my watch. I don't even know why. (laughs) Um, 
But, but it was like the last week of school. I think we had already taken our final exams, and we did it. We went through with our big heist, and I was having a terrible time. I was just racked with guilt. I felt terrible. And, and while we were out, I started getting text messages from a couple of classmates of mine. Apparently, I had forgotten that, that the day that we skipped class was supposed to be the day that I returned my textbook to one of my teachers. And she was not just mad, she was disappointed which is so much worse. And, and I knew that as soon as I went to return that book that she was going to give me the lecture. So I came up with another plan. And at this point, I'm just like spiraling into a life of crime. And, and so the next day I go to school early, which is how all crime stories start. And I go to school early and I literally hide around the corner of her classroom and I just wait for her to leave. And I wait there for literally, I think, 30 minutes, and finally she left her room, and I sprint in. I drop the book off with like a note of apology, and I sprint out, and I never saw her again. And I feel, and I feel great about it. That was the day that I decided to become a pastor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> also, my mom is here today, so I never told you that story. Sorry, mom. <laughs> now, if I'm being honest with you guys, that's kind of maybe an extreme or absurd example, but, but really the way that I interact with judgment. It's something to be avoided at all costs. And yet when we look at the story of Israel and, and the story we see in the book of Amos, it's, it's kind of like almost the exact opposite of that. Um, it was something that they even looked forward to. And, and Amos has this to say about that. This is Amos 5 verse 18. It says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Which, there's not many jokes in the Old Testament. That's a pretty good one. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I mentioned earlier this day of the Lord that we see here, this, this day of judgment that, that God was going to come and defeat their enemies because of their sinfulness. And, and what we see here is basically Amos saying, be careful what you pray for. Be careful for what you wish. In fact, just a few verses earlier, we see that, that there will be wailing and mourning for every Israelite when God passes through their midst. He says, because of your sin." because of your injustice, because of this corruption that you have allowed in your cities. You are better off avoiding this judgment the way you would a lion or a bear or a serpent or a disappointed high school teacher. See, this idea of a, of a day of judgment is not specific to the Old Testament, but it even spills over into the New Testament, including from Jesus himself. In Matthew 12, verse 36, he says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Later in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 10, it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We even talked about this a little bit last week. John Kelly talked about the passage where Jesus is going to divide people into sheep and goats. And, and I remember hearing about this idea as a kid and just being absolutely terrified. Like, man, I hope I'm a sheep and not a goat. <laughs> but just the idea of Jesus himself judging my life, judging my words, judging my actions, it seemed overwhelming 
and something to just be absolutely afraid of. And yet this is where we have to be careful because my guess is that I'm not alone in the fact that there's been a time in my faith where it has simply just been fear-based good behavior. But what we see when we explore this passage and when we look at our lives is that that often reveals an incorrect understanding of the justice of God. For Israel, it was a misunderstanding of of where they stood with God, of their faithfulness or their lack thereof. And and Amos is trying to say, I don't think you understand how seriously God takes justice. Maybe that's true for you as well at times, where it seems so easy for us when, when sin enters into our life, it's so easy to convince ourselves that it's really not that big of a deal. You know, I'm going through a lot. I'm not hurting anybody. I think it's okay. Maybe for you, this illusory superiority kicks in in your faith, and and you think, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. Maybe we need to be reminded today just how seriously God takes injustice. And we were reminded last week, if you need to remember All you need to do is to look at the cross and the price that Jesus paid. For many of us, though, we fall on the other side of this, too, where where God is kind of this mean teacher or this angry parent or this disappointed deity, and, and he looks down on us. And as we talk about justice, maybe you need to be reminded that any discussion of God's justice is not complete without talking about God's grace. It's clear from what Amos is teaching is that this day of justice is either good news or bad news, but the difference for us is grace. Hebrews 4 says that we should approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace. For those of us who have trusted Jesus with our lives, God's throne is not a place of punishment. It is a place of grace. Yes, you should take your sin seriously. It matters. But for too many of us, has faith simply been fear-based good behavior? And God is offering you something so much better. It's called grace. It's called mercy. And it's called love. This is the hope of the gospel and the hope of the day of the Lord. And finally, that brings us to a cry of justice. Um, I want to read just one verse in Amos 5. This is verse 24. It may sound familiar to some of you. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Those of you that are students of U.S. history uh, might recognize that verse. It's commonly used when talking about justice, and is even included in, in one of the most famous speeches in our country's history. As Martin Luther King Jr. declared these words in his I Have a Dream speech. It's a powerful verse. And it does a couple of things all at the same time. Number one, it's a call to action. It's instructions for us to pursue justice and to pursue righteousness, not just every once in a while, and not just when it's easy, and not just when other people are doing it or we see a cool video, but all the time, like a stream that never ends. Number two, it's a promise of what's ahead, a a promise we see in Revelation 22 of another river, this river of life a time where God's kingdom and his justice will be fully realized. Revelation 22, verse 1 says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of, river, of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. This is what is ahead of us, a, a time where justice will be known. But number three, it's also a warning. It's a warning to a nation that has been corrupted and fallen into sin, that God's justice is coming. And you either go with the current or you get caught up in it. So what does it mean to pursue justice? What does it look like for you when you go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow or when you deal with your family and just when everyday life happens? What does it mean for justice to roll down like waters? Amos, I think, gives us a really interesting picture of it in verses 14 and 15. He says, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. This is what it means for justice to roll down, to establish it at the gates, for my faith to inform my everyday life and to use what I have in the way that I treat others for good. To hate evil, to not just hate the evil out there that that we're convinced that we're right about and no one else can see, but, but first to hate the evil in here. As Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 7, to to take the log out of my own eye before I worry about the speck in my brother's eye. And then to love good and to seek good. And and that phrase, seek good, is so important to how we understand this. Amos uses almost a similar, almost exact phrase two times earlier in verses 5 and verse 6. He says, seek me and live and seek the Lord and live. And then we see it again, seek good and live. In other words, to seek good and to seek God are inseparable. To seek good, to love my neighbor, to make right what is wrong, only comes from seeking God. And truly seeking God will always lead to seeking what's best for those that he loves. This is why the views of justice that that don't include God, that are separate from him, will always be incomplete. There can be good in them, and there can be good works and good intentions— But true justice for you and for me is not accomplished by just trying to fix every problem in the world. It's accomplished when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we allow him to work through us. So today, let justice roll down in your life by admitting your shortcomings and your failures and allowing us to acknowledge the ways in which corruption has entered into our lives. Let justice roll down in your family by showing grace to one another, forgiving each other, and encouraging each other to become more like Jesus. Let justice roll down in this church by never forgetting about the purpose that we have been given, revealed to us in the heart of Jesus. And let justice roll down in our communities and in this nation and in every nation with the followers of Jesus as the witness of what it looks like to stand for the oppressed and the poor and the hungry and the lost. Not out of fear or out of guilt, but out of the love that we have been shown. Let justice roll down. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for the ways in which you have loved us, the ways that you have shown us grace and mercy, in which you have walked with us even when we have not been doing as well as maybe we thought. God, would you allow us to pursue justice and righteousness, not out of fear of what might happen if we don't, but because we have been loved and we have been justified and we have been made righteous. God, this is our prayer. And we pray this in your name. Amen.